Welcome, friends. This is Bob Hutchins on The Human Voice. As always, I've got a special guest. About two years ago, exactly, in September, I interviewed Jeff Goins when the podcast was still called Rumors of Grace, one of the most popular episodes that we've had. And in that episode, Jeff and I talked about a lot of different things, and there was some undercurrents and bubblings of, of change, of transformation. We're almost exactly two years later. The world has changed. I've changed. Jeff has changed. And we're going to talk about it. So if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to that podcast, I encourage you. I believe it's number 28. We're up and pushing 90 now. So you got to go back a ways, but it's almost exactly two years ago in September of 2019. Jeff Goins is a best-selling author. He's a podcaster, a blogger, a marketer, a speaker, and a few other things. He's the author of five best-selling books, including The Art of Work and Real Artists Don't Starve. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. I can't believe it's been two years. That's uh, It feels like forever ago and not that long ago at the same time, if that makes Isn't sense. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird how, how time the last couple of years has just like become something very odd and strange like that? Yeah. I found myself like this year and end of last year wanting to say like this year, I wanted to say like last year. And I was actually thinking about 2019. I was like, no, that was two years ago. Yeah. 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 It feels so long ago, but so like yesterday, I don't even know how those two things simultaneously <laughs> exist, but they do. So you, you've got a new endeavor. So we're going to talk about a lot of things on the podcast, but Hey Creator, Hey Creator is the podcast. Many of my listeners, some of my listeners may have may be listening to that. If you haven't, go check it out. Uh, hey Creator, also heycreator.com. So I'd love to, to hear a little bit about how you arrived at the Hey Creator concept and brand. And so maybe that's the jumping off point. We don't have to revisit necessarily because we covered that two years ago in the podcast about who you are, you're growing up, et cetera. So we'll talk about the last couple of years here in a few minutes, but love to hear about Hey Creator, about that concept. Yeah. So I think I was thinking back to when we talked a couple of years ago, and, and I think I was talking about things in, in some pretty veiled ways. Uh, I was going through what at best I could understand as, as sort of an existential crisis. Some people might call it a a deconstruction. Uh, I think for me, it, it was just like all the things that I had done to, I don't know, feel good about my life and show up in the world in a way that seemed true. They didn't work anymore. Meaning I don't know why I was doing it. Deconstruction is a funny term that I think often gets co-opted by religious people who no longer want to be religious, but it really comes down to words, right? And, and as a human who makes his way in the world with words, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, podcaster, speaker, even uh, when I have been teaching online courses, I am using words, you know, like words are words are my currency. And, and they are how I have often felt safest in the world, starting at sixth grade, you know, winning the school spelling bee and writing songs and poems for girls to win them over to just using my intellect and my voice as a way of connecting with people. And so, you know, uh, words are, are ways in which we create abstractions out of reality. And we might call this a construct. It's a, it's a mental construct. It's a way of understanding the world. And a construct is really helpful. But when the map 
no longer matches the territory like at all, right? Or in some pretty significantly misleading ways, like, hey, there's a cliff over here and you walk over to the edge and there's no cliff. You start to really doubt the map. And so deconstruction for me was going, here are the things that I thought it took to succeed in life, to be a happy person with enough money, enough friends, enough accomplishments, whatever. And and I did everything on my list and then some, and it didn't seem to work for me. What I, the pot of gold that I thought I was going to get at the end of the rainbow was not there. So, you know, I just started to play with other ideas, right? And and that led to all kinds of changes. It led to a lot of dissatisfaction with my work. It led to a marriage that was already, in my experience, dying. It, it, it's led to the dissolution of, of that relationship and created just a ton of space for me at a time when I like didn't, didn't know what was going to happen next. So I left the house that my wife and I, I bought together and, and told my kids that we were going to get a divorce the day before Valentine's Day in 2020. And the next week, a tornado hit. So I moved out. And the next week, the tornado hit Nashville, which I'm sure you remember. And, the, and around that time, I started to hear reports of this thing called the coronavirus, which we just still didn't fully understand. And then my kids go on spring break. They go visit their grandparents, right? So they know their parents are going to get a divorce. Their dad just moved out. Tornado hits Nashville. And and then they get stuck in Illinois where they're visiting their grandparents for about two weeks. They're there for spring break and they extend their, their stay by about another week because that's when everything got locked down. And it was like, can I go to the grocery store? Can I drive somewhere? And so here I am in essentially a vacant apartment and the whole world has shut down. I have been somewhat haphazardly shutting down parts of my life that don't seem to be working anymore. And it just created this big void, this big vacuum. And I I thought I wanted space and time and solitude and be careful what you wish for. Cause you know, y- y- you find yourself alone going, no, 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 I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. This doesn't feel good. And so last year for me was uh, the culmination of a journey, you know, Mm. where I I was finding myself wanting more solitude, being drawn to more mystery and just really not knowing what was going on. It felt very chaotic and and scary for me. And, and it's not how I would have planned it, you know, and it was exactly what I needed. You know, it was medicine. So, Hey, creator was this, as I began to reimagine my life and my work, I wanted a way to express myself in a way that felt true and 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 was a was a big enough container, a new construct, a big enough container in which I could play, understanding that there are always constraints anytime we do anything that you know every painting needs a canvas. And I hate frames. I hate I hate constructs. I hate constraints, and yet I know that I need them to do yeah. anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a- possible. Like life is constrained. And yet I, I tend to rail against any sort of, of boundaries. So yeah, one day I was literally drawing on a napkin, reimagining website, newsletter, podcast. Uh, this was maybe last summer. And, and the, the, the idea of, hey, creator, the, the phrase just sort of popped into my mind. And, and it came from a place of me wrestling with this idea that I am actually the creator of my own life. And, and my evangelical Christian background would say, no, 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 no. God is the creator. You're not the creator. And, you know, was there a, a conscious 
personal being that created the universe. I don't know. Like, like part of me goes, well, sure. That makes sense to me. And the other part of me goes, I don't know exactly how that works, but what I have experienced is that in whether that's true or not, in many ways, we are the creators of our realities in, in the sense that we get to choose what meaning we make out of our existence and our experience. And we know this is true because we meet people who interpret an event in their life as incredibly traumatic and, and find themselves a victim of their circumstances. And I don't like, I'm not using that term lightly. Like I have felt victimized by many things that have happened to me in my life. And, and, and then you contrast that with another experience, another person who had a similar experience, maybe the quote unquote same experience, although it was through them, not through you. And they have a completely different interpretation of that. Right. right. And, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, two twins growing up in the same household that develop dramatically different personalities. And those aren't exactly the same environment. So it's not a perfect test, but the point is you and I could experience the same thing and have completely different takeaways from it. And so when I say you are the creator of your life, that's what I mean. You know, can you control everything that happens to you? No, of course not. But I have found incredible freedom by owning everything that has happened to me. Anne Lamont, one of my favorite writers, says in her book, Bird by Bird, uh, she's actually talking about writing about trauma and difficult things that have happened to you. She says, you own everything that has ever happened to you. You own it. It belongs to you. And if people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. And so there's kind of two parts that you own everything that has happened to you. And if people were unkind to you and they didn't want you to tell the world about it, then they should have behaved better. And, and, and the first part of that phrase really, it used to be the second part of that phrase resonated with me. I wanted to go like air my dirty laundry everywhere and whatever, you know, talk about all my experiences. And I, I still think there's validity to that, that, you know, talking about abuse or injustice or whatever. But for me, the past few years have been realizing Oh, I own this life. I own this wild and precious life that was given to me. Mm. And the truth is I was bored. I was bored with my life and I was bored with my work. Even, even, though, even though you were being a quote creator and being creative and teaching others to be creative, it just wasn't satisfying. Yeah, because I, I was um, very sensitive to what other people wanted from me. And I began to believe that I could only be successful, which to me meant making enough money that, that I could live the kind of life that I wanted to live and, 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 and that people would be interested in making enough money and, and having you know, a market for it. I could only do that if I was doing things that were safe and comprehensible to others. And I had lost my edge. And I had probably lost the thing that had attracted people to me in the first place, which was that I was changing and trying new things. And so I, I felt bored by the work that I was doing because it was not the kind of work that I found particularly inspiring. It felt reductive and pandering, you know, like I was, I was pandering to what people wanted. And I felt very constrained by that. Um, even, though, even though you were very successful at it. 
right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, so says you, right? I never felt that way. Uh, I imagine from another perspective, it, it felt some like, oh, look, Jeff is successful. I never felt successful. Everything that I did felt like failure because it wasn't as good as I thought it could be. Even though you have best-selling books on the New York Times, even though you have a business that has, how many employees did you have up at one point? You had- you Yeah, know, over a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. 20. Yeah. So doing doing these conferences, but from your perspective, it wasn't successful. I mean, compared to what? Like, should I compare that to a Fortune 100 company? That's a that's a little business. We're making you know a million sure. plus a year. I, I I am personally netting a few hundred thousand dollars in an income. Yes, I can understand. Relatively speaking, I can even understand objectively speaking. You know, look at the average income of an American, much less a world citizen, and go, Jeff, you were quote unquote successful. But success doesn't mean better than what most people can do. That's not what the word means. Success right. means to get what you want. Mm. That's what it means. I studied Spanish in college. The word for to succeed, or one of the words to succeed, is lograr, which means to get. It also means to succeed. You get mm. what you want. You acquire what you want. So I was not successful in the sense that I was basically achieving things that other people thought were cool. Now, I didn't know what I wanted. So I thought I wanted a, a best-selling book and a million-dollar business. And then I got what I thought I wanted and realized I didn't actually want it. And, and so I, I didn't feel successful. And on this journey, uh, a friend of mine said to me something that he's heard from, from someone else, which is that, I think it's from Gretchen Rubin, who says, self-esteem having good self-esteem is not saying nice things to yourself. Oh, I, I like, it's not Stuart smollying yourself, if you will. Like I'm good enough and smart enough right. and gosh darn it, people like me. Those are niceties. And I didn't believe those things about myself, right? So mm -hmm. self-esteem is not saying nice things to yourself about yourself. Self-esteem is living in a manner that is worthy of your own respect. And when it came down to it, I actually didn't respect the person that I was and, and the person that I was becoming and no amount of positive self-talk. No, and I tried and no amount of friends around me saying you're successful, you're successful worked because it wasn't good enough for me. And good enough wasn't that I wanted more. It was that I wanted different. I wanted to change some things that I was afraid to change. I wanted to try some things that I was afraid to try. And the echo chamber around me that said, well, be grateful, you know, like enjoy your life, yada, yada, yada. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. and, and I just, I buried that and buried it and buried it. It's like a beach ball in the ocean. You push it down, it pops up somewhere else. And I'm not saying that a person has to quote unquote, blow up their lives to be happy because that in itself didn't make me happy. But what did begin to make me happier was starting to trust myself, the choice that mm -hmm. I made to trust that nobody knew what I needed to do. Nobody knew what I needed to do with my life better than me because nobody actually knows mm -hmm. me better than me. That's good. I'm, I'm the one. So, so I'm the one who has to live with me is how I think of it. And so if I'm succeeding at a bunch of things that you and everybody else think are great, and I don't, I don't think it's that great. 
well, who should I disappoint? Should I disappoint you or should I? Because I see you once in a while, Bob. You know, we're friends and I bump into you once in a while and, and we lose track of time and go, hey, let's get together and have lunch, right? I, I saw you last, you know, a, a few days ago, I guess this week, and, and we had a nice chat. And before that, maybe it was six months, you know, it was a while, right? A couple of years. <laughs> yeah, right. So for a long time, I was afraid of bumping into Bob and him being disappointed in me. Wow. But, I bu- but I bump into me every day. And I was really, really tired of living with that disappointment. Mm. Mm. So, hey, creator has a double meaning. You, it's a wake up call to people who are bored with their work and with their lives. Mm. And you need to start doing stuff that is interesting to you. Because when you do stuff that is interesting to you, it is going to attract other people in powerful ways. It might push away some people, but it's also going to attract the right kind of people. And they're that's where the life is. The life is in the change, yes. in the in the interesting. And if you want to keep living, you've got to keep changing. That's good. That's really good. It's a great segue into, I think, my next question I have, because what I've always appreciated about you and, and the relationship that we've had, although it's been, like you said, it's been sporadic, one thing I have interpreted from afar and in listening to your podcast and in spending time with you is that there's this really interest. And I think where we connect, you and I connect, is that there is this intersection of creativity, philosophy, and spirituality that is really, really important to me. And I think people normally don't put those things together. When you talk about mm. your work, your your the way that you make money, the things that you're passionate about. When you start bringing in and talking about creativity, people can connect with that and they understand, all right, we're creatives. You're a writer. Uh, I'm a marketer. I'm a writer. I'm a communicator. You're a communicator. We create things and we, we, we build things and we find satisfaction in thinking outside the box and creating something that wasn't there before, either for ourselves or, or for clients or customers. But when you start to bring in this idea of philosophy and spirituality into it and bringing your true self into that place of creativity and commerce and business, that's where it can make people uncomfortable. But as you said, I think you hit the the nail on the head was that's where it gets interesting and that's where people connect. So I want to explore this whole concept deeper, this whole intersection of creativity and spirituality and philosophy. What what has talked to me about that? Tell me more. Sure. First thing I want to do is I want to challenge you as a friend to not assume that people are not interested in the deep things of life. Sure. Now I know, right? Like I, I mean this sincerely and we can stop, stop the recording if we want to. I know what it's like to change and to entertain ideas that a previous version of yourself probably thought was absurd. And there are people around you go, that's crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I also know what it's like to make up the other side of the story, which is they must be thinking this about me and they must think I'm crazy. And the more distance that I get away from religious dogma, and I was to to pull a quote from St. Paul, right? Like a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, like the most dogmatic of them all, you know, a Benjamite boy, you know, circumcised on the seventh day or eighth day or whatever it is, right? Like pretty damn dogmatic. 
Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting now is the, the more space I get from the person that I was, the more I realize it's not other people who are judging me. It is an older version of myself. Yes, absolutely. Another beautiful Anne Lamott-ism is I am all the ages I've ever been. Mm. Mm. I love that. I, I got into internal family systems a little bit last year, which is a, a school of therapy where uh, it's often called parts therapy, where you deal with the, the younger versions of yourself. So I have a feeling inside of me of worthlessness, right? Mm -hmm. How old is that feeling? Oh, maybe like 13, 14 years old when I was pretty chubby, had long hair, bosoms, and, and was often mistaken for a girl and, and was made fun of. And I liked girls and they didn't like me back and was picked on and beat up and all kinds of things. And so when I find myself feeling something, I go, oh, that's, that's a younger version of me. Hmm. And I can work with that part of myself and I can love that part of myself and, and help heal that part of myself because there, there is a part of me that doesn't feel that way anymore. An older, more mature man who can say to the boy inside, it's okay to be scared and you're okay. So as I understand that, oh, it's me who's judging me, not others. And dude, sometimes other people are judging you. I've, I've had it happen, okay? It, I've had somebody come up to me and say, you're doing something wrong, or I don't agree with you, or you're a crazy or whatever. Right. So I get that. That's a real thing. But as I get more distance from that, I, and, and have more honest conversations about everything, which is probably all the same thing. I find that ultimately we are all interested in the same thing, which is, so you said creativity, philosophy, and spirituality, right? So those are fancy ways of saying you're here to do something. You want to know why you're doing it. Right. And you want to know what it all means in the grand scheme of things. Right. And every question ultimately is a philosophical question. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you can ask why ad infinitum. Right. Why, 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 why. Right. And, and, and we're all deciding how many answers we want to go back into the infinite regression of whys where we feel satisfied. Right. So some people go, well, why does this happen? Because God did it. Done. I am satisfied, right? Some people go, we'll never know, right? Okay, that's an answer. And, and, and so your philosophy is simply the point at which you decide, I'm done asking why the answer is satisfying to me. Yes. And I find that life is, is simply an experience and continuing the whys, right? Like I get to an answer of a why and I go, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with that. That's my new construct. And then I get bored with that and, and it, it doesn't seem to work anymore. And I take it a, a little bit farther. So I actually think that these things work really well together. I think the terminology sometimes get, gets in the way, right? Spirituality sounds like religion, which sounds like God, which is, sounds like dad, which is, whoa, 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 leave me alone kind of thing. But I, I think everybody I know is interested in the questions of um, like, what do I do, right? That is actually a creative question. What am I here to do? And forget about all the like big cosmic explanations for it. Like, hey man, like let's do something together. We could sit here and like stare at each other or we could like 
go make something together, a podcast or a conversation, a meal. I like doing things with people. Those are all creative acts, right? We, we are going to do things by nature of being human. We're going to create. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a painting or a photograph or a novel. You go into your work as a receptionist or a flight attendant or a doctor or a writer. You're making something every day. You're making connections. You're, you're making something that wasn't there before by very nature of your being there. And philosophy is an attempt to try to understand it. And I think spirituality essentially answers the question. So if, if creativity is, what do I do? Philosophy is like, what does it mean, right? Spirituality is, is perhaps why does it matter? And, and I like that the definition of spirituality that's one of my favorite teachers right now, Anthony DeMello, who is a priest and psychotherapist mm -hmm. says, which is spirituality is awareness. It is waking up. It is simply getting in touch with the way things are. Mm. Which, which is synonymous with psychology, with our modern understanding of psychology. Psychology meant to study the soul. Psychology, right. psyche, soul. Study of the soul. Ology, mm -hmm. it means words, words about the soul. And, you know, you've got Freud, and then you also have Jung, who is very, very interested in different world religions, mythologies, all of it. So, you know, when we talk about therapy and psychology and personal development and self-help and religion and philosophy, we are all essentially just trying to answer the same frigging question, which is why am I here and what do I do? <laughs> you know, and on a surface level, nobody's interested in that question. I'm right. hungry. The kids need to get to school. I don't have time for that crap. Right. And yet you get a human being alone for just a minute or two absolutely, in the early morning or late at night, or they go for a walk or have a drink or a smoke and they immediately go, why am I here? And what am I doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think those are the questions, you know? Yeah. What, why what is that? I so hear? why is that so important as a creator? And as you speak to creators, unpack that for me a little bit, because I, I think it's, it is everything because Create. I think the engine, the fire, the, the the fuel that drives that creation has to come from those questions. And I guess it's you know there's a, there is an archetype of the tortured artist, which certainly I think the best art can come from that. But but help me unpack that a little bit for you. Um, you know, all of a sudden you've you know retired your old your kind of your your former creative endeavors and business, and you're starting something new. At what point does what we've just talked about fuel that? Uh, it fuels all of it. I think that there is a graduation that has to happen for every creative individual. Rather, it doesn't have to happen, but there's an invitation for it to happen. Mm. We used to use the term creative, right? You've done a lot of work in the quote unquote creative industry, which is kind of code for advertising and marketing, right? Right. But a creative, a creative, a human being, a professional who's a creative is typically somebody who does creative work for someone else, right? right? You're a designer at an advertise agent, advertising agency. You work in marketing. You make stuff for someone else. A creator is someone who is creative and owns their own work. And I mean that in every sense of the word. You own it in the sense that you take responsibility for it, and you own it in the sense that you 
own the intellectual property. You go, this is mine, right? A, a creator is not just somebody who's making things. They're making what they want for the people that they want to make it for. And I think one of the problems in the so-called creator economy, which is the world of YouTube personalities and Instagram influencers and TikTok people, they're making stuff. Uh, a lot of people, that often gets confused with like video creators, but everybody wants to own this title, right? Instagram wants right. to own it. YouTube, everybody's creating a creator studio on their, their new platform. And it's ironic because it is very easy to go from creator back into creative. I have a friend who's a big YouTube guy and hates that he has to make a certain kind of video for what his audience now expects. And this is like the real bitch of success, you know, is as soon as you get what you want, you're stuck there. Neil Young did this, uh, they did this great documentary of Neil Young years ago. And it's, you, you can't find, there's like little clips of it on YouTube, but you have to like go to like, it's like a BBC doc or something. You've got to go buy the DVD to, to watch the whole thing. And he talks about Harvest. And for those who don't know the work of Neil Young, you know, kind of rock folk singer in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. I mean, right. he's, still, he's still making music. One of my favorite artists, not because every song he writes is gold, but because he just keeps making stuff and is always wants to keep changing. Not unlike Bob Dylan. But, you know, he, he was kind of big in the 60s. He was a part of the Buffalo Springfield. And they were the first band, he, he tells us in the documentary, they were the first band that was going to go on Johnny Carson. Like before Johnny brought on musical acts, they're like, this is the first band. The night before they're going to go on Carson, he quits the band because he's not feeling it. Mm. And, and, and that's how Neil Young functions. I mean, it, his edge is a little bit farther than my edge. I mean, I, like I, I try to honor my commitments and all that. But he tells this story because he goes from Buffalo Springfield, does Crosby, Stills, uh, Nash and & Young, and, and does you know, a couple of other projects. And then he, he does Buffalo Springfield, does a little solo stuff, does Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young. And then he, he quits Crosby, Stills & Nash, which he was always kind of weaving in and out of. And he starts doing his, his, his solo stuff, found, you know, starts his band Crazy Horse, all that stuff. But he comes out with Harvest, which I think came out in 1971. And it's his big breakout success. And it's a great record. I mean, it is a really good record. My dad made us listen to it while we were driving from Illinois to Niagara Falls, 12 hour drive. We listened to that thing nonstop both ways. So by the end of the trip, I was an avid Neil Young fan and memorized every song. But he tells a story about after, after Harvest, everybody wanted him to do Harvest part two. He said, I made a record accidentally that everybody wanted. And it sold like a million copies like that. And it was like the number one album of that year or something. And he said, and then I made a record that nobody wanted. And here's the really crazy part about, and I can't remember the, the record that comes after that. Maybe Russ Never Sleeps or something. I can't remember what it is. There's a record that comes out right after Harvest, like the next year. And it is completely different. And before it comes out, he does a tour. This is crazy. Neil Young goes on tour. And he plays his new record front to back. But nobody's heard these songs because the record hasn't come out yet. So he's just had like the most successful record and rock music of, of that year. A year later, tours without a new record and plays all new songs and none of the stuff that people want to hear. Imagine 
Taylor Swift doing that. I mean, she might be able to get away with it because she's so prolific. But, you know, imagine Taylor Swift going, I'm going to tour and I'm not going to play any of the songs you know, love and care about. And I'm just going to play all new songs. Like diehard fans would love that. And there would be teenage girls crying, right? Right. There'd be 40 year old men probably crying too, you know? Love, love Taylor Swift. And, And so Neil Young does this, right? And he plays show after show. And front to back, he plays his new record that nobody's ever heard before. And he gets to the end of a set and he goes, here's one you've heard before. And they think he's going to play like Heart of Gold or Cinnamon Girl or, you know, one of his hits from the past 10 years of making music. He's he's a known entity. And he plays the first song from the set again. (laughs) And and for it. It does not go over well. For a year, he gets booed off of stages. And he said, everybody thought I failed, but I knew that I had succeeded because I was on the road to success and I headed right towards the ditch. Mm. And, and people thought that was failure, but it was success because I was not controlled by that. I was not that guy. I was not going to make, I was not going to let you keep me stuck in an old version of myself. And so I remember listening to that years ago, feeling inspired. What yeah. Would, what would it be like to build an empire and then burn it to the ground? <laughs> yeah. Well, Bob Dylan did the same thing. When, over uh, and over again. He, he came out with an electric guitar because he was known it. as this acoustic folk singer and he got booed off the stage, but he just kept playing. And, and I, think, I think the inspiring thing about that to me is... He, they didn't do what was expected of them. They did what was true to themselves and what they felt like was the best version of themselves and where they wanted to go. And as a result, they are continue to be legends because they're well-respected in the sense of, you know, the one hit wonders come and go. Those that pander to whatever the trend is and what people want to hear, they usually don't end up being the longstanding legends. It's those that are truly true to themselves and grow and change. And that story about Dylan going electric, the, the backstory, the lesser known story is, you know, he blew up pretty quickly, you know, kind of started in the New York city counterculture folk musicians. Right. And, and, you know, I, I would say inarguably is not a great singer, not a great guitarist. And neither is Neil Young. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's right. And, and a, an incredible poet, you know, Dylan is, I mean, how does he just write line after line after verse, after verse, after verse. So he goes on this big European tour, comes back exhausted and is ready to quit music. Hmm. This is in 1960 something early, early sixties. And he, he rents a house in Woodstock, New York, and is determined to become a novelist and doesn't take his guitar, is done with music. He's ready to quit music. He's exhausted. If you, ever, if you ever want to have some fun, and if you're a creative person who struggles with people not understanding your art, go to YouTube and Google Bob Dylan press conference videos because it's hilarious. Because <laughs> people just ask him questions and he's just sitting there with a cigarette and they'll be like, why'd you, why'd you, why'd you pose on this album with a motorcycle? He's like, I, I like motorcycle. And like, but, <laughs> but, but as a, are you trying to like say something about like the American masculine spirit, you know, and, and he goes, 
oh yeah, that's wild. <laughs> he's, just, <laughs> he's just like, he's just like, what? You know, it's really, really funny. So, I mean, he was often misunderstood. We forget that like the same era that gave us like the madman culture, right? People that remember World War II who are going into Manhattan with fedoras and suits every day. That same era produces a Bob Dylan, you know, with, with his, you know, shaggy hair and cigarettes and weird outfits singing 12 verse songs that have no chorus, just, you know, railing against the war or, or whatever. He was completely different from what was the so-called status quo. And even then people started to pigeonhole him. So he's worn out, tired. He goes to this house in, in Woodstock, New York. And one night he gets struck by what he later calls the ghost. And he sits down and he just starts writing. And he doesn't know what he's writing. He's writing stream of consciousness. Remember, he thinks he's there to write a novel. He was a Renaissance man. You know, he loved art, poetry, music was in some ways just kind of a thing he did. And he thought, I'm just going to write books. I'm going to write novels. I'm going to tell stories. Just incredibly multifaceted, multi-talented. And so he writes this, this stream of consciousness thing that ends up becoming like a rolling stone. Mm. And so I think there's a really beautiful metaphor in there or an analogy or, or an archetype for how you find your art. First of all, you have to do something probably well enough that people notice it and that they actually pigeonhole you. Then you have to be willing to quit the whole thing entirely. And when you let go, when you walk away, your art quickly comes back to you because you don't need it. Hmm. Right? It's like a child, right? If you, if you have this codependent relationship with your child, then you're like, I need you. Never leave me. Uh, you know, like be with me forever. You're not going to create a healthy human, right? You know this better than I do, you know, at a season of life where you're sending your kids off into the world. Mm -hmm. um, if you're too clingy, they want to run away, right? That's right. Or they want to stick around forever, which is also not super healthy. But if you teach your children how to be independent, how to live on their own and have an identity on their own, I imagine they want to come back around more and they want to Absolutely. see you and have a healthy relationship with you. And the same is true of your work, of your art, of the stuff that you make in the world. If you want it too much, it's going gonna, it's gonna to evade you. It's mm. going to escape you. But if you love it in a healthy way and you're willing to let it go so that change can happen in and through you, people don't change, Bob. Change is happening. And what we call transformation, right. what we call transformation, what we call transformation is simply an acknowledgement of change that is already happening. Mm. And I think it's David White who says that most human beings are two to three years behind the curve of their own transformation. And what he means by that is you change, and then three years later, you realize you've changed, right? You, right. you realize your calling is, is not this thing, it's something else, and, and two years later, you quit your job because mm. you've sat in that place of like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, I don't want to do this anymore. The truth is the change happened a long time ago internally, and it just took some time for it to get out there. So That's good. I can't remember the, the original question. We were talking about the intersection of creativity, philosophy, and spirituality, which I think, I think you've done a really good job of exploring that. And, and, and I think it, it, it's a great uh, lead into, I guess, my last question, which would be, in light of everything we've talked about, what does it mean to be uh, a creative? And for you specifically, a writer, 
in 2021 today versus 2019? Has anything changed? Obviously, you have changed, but what does it mean to be a creative in this environment today versus two years ago? Obviously, it's a universal experience. There are things that are the same, but the world has changed. And maybe the creative outlets and environments and ways of thinking about creativity may have changed. I'd love to hear your opinion on that. So going back to the creative versus creator struggle, Mm -hmm. every creative is making something for someone else while resenting the fact that they have to do that on some level. Every creator understands the way I'm defining it. Every creator is owning their work. They're accepting responsibility for their life and the work that they make. And I have found, first of all, those years are a blur to me, but 2019 is like my version of a frustrated Bob Dylan who's like, screw it all, but is still kind of holding on to an old identity. And the 2021 version of me realizes it's actually not as serious as I thought it was, Mm. which allows me the freedom to make some new stuff to let go of some old stuff and not be afraid. Like I, I spent 10 years teaching six online courses that generated, I don't know, five, six, $7 million, something like that. You know, I I think the the business in good years made over a million dollars and, you know, in in decent years made five, six, $700,000. And so that's a lot to let go of. I guess, <laughs> you know, like the more I get into the present moment, the more I'm like, who cares? What are you talking about? I live in an apartment now, moved out of a 4,000 square foot home that we sold at the end of last year and moved to an apartment. And, and that's been really nice. And I, I have a bike that I got, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And it was a bike from my marriage that ended and I, I just leave it out in the parking lot. And I don't, I don't, I saw other people did it and they didn't like lock it up. So I did it and, and it sat there for a few months without my riding it and sat there every day and every day I park my car and see the, the, the bike every day I park my car and I see the bike, walk past it, go, Hey bike, you know, I'll, I'll ride you later kind of thing. Just a Schwinn mountain bike, nothing fancy, hundred dollar bike or whatever. And, and then one day I parked my car and the bike wasn't there. And I thought, huh. Someone stole my bike. I imagine because people are always moving in and out that, you know, maybe there's a moving truck and somebody just grabbed it and said, whatever, you know, I don't know. And I haven't even like asked the office, hey, where did my bike go? One, a friend, I started to get into mountain biking and a friend gave me a much nicer mountain bike that I need to take to the shop and fix up. So I have another bike. And two, I was just kind of like, oh, I guess, I guess that's over. I guess that my time with that bike is over and there's nothing scary for me about saying goodbye to stuff that has clearly had its season and it's time to move on. Now, I think as humans, we really struggle with that because we, we find something that works and we want to do it over and over and over again. But like, that's like that old Nasrudin story. You know, Nasrudin was like an old Turkish mystic. 
everybody claims him. the Persians claim him, Turk, Turks claim him, but you know, he's a Middle Eastern mystic. I think he's a Sufi, Nasruddin. And he tells a story about, he's, he's like playing a violin or something. He's playing a, a, a musical instrument and he's playing one, one note over and over and over again. And the way that he would teach is he would teach through absurdities. He would, he would teach through kind of these ironic things where he would, he would play the fool, but he was actually teaching you a wise thing. And so he's playing this one note on a violin over and over and over again. Everybody goes, why don't you play another note? Like these other musicians that are playing songs. He goes, oh, those fools, they're trying to find the right note. I've found it. Mm. Can you imagine a song that doesn't change notes? Can you imagine a life that is marked by only one thing? Can you imagine a quote unquote successful career that doesn't change, that doesn't have ups and downs? We've talked about Dylan. We've talked about Neil Young. I have really, we talked about this at, over breakfast the other day. I've really begun to re-admire the work and career of the Beatles because it's quite audacious. I don't think we understand that in the modern context if you didn't grow up you know, in the 60s and 70s, then you might miss it. First of all, it was a short career, nine years as a band, over 20 different, you know, releases, depending on what you count. And, you know, after Sgt. Peppers, they they didn't tour because they realized what they could do in the studio versus what they could do on stage. And they just got really interested in making really unique sounds in the studio. You and I both know this, you know, living in, in Music City. I mean, to not tour for almost any band is death. Right. Especially, especially back then. Especially then, you know, like no internet, <laughs> no internet, no streaming. Nobody's going to find out about you unless you tour. Now, granted, they were the Beatles at that point, but it was still an audacious thing. And if you listen to every single record, you know, of the Beatles, they're all different. They're all reinventions. It's really, really fascinating. It took them a few records to kind of find their sound. And then once they found it, they changed it. And I admire that audacity to keep going, to keep trying new things. I think the difference between that and like somebody who doesn't do that is really just confidence. I think we stuck with Dylan because Dylan stuck with Dylan. Mm. I'm going to keep changing things. That is my art. I mean, he's, he's changed quite a bit, had this like rock and roll Christian era, you know, has gone back to kind of a folk sound. And then- I am all the ages I've ever been, right? So has now kind of integrated everything that he's ever done in a really masterful way. And that probably is the big difference between me now and me then was me a few years ago, I rejected everything that I'd done up until that moment. No, 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 that, that sucks. This is the new thing. This is the cool thing. And we all know people like that. They're constantly changing. They're constantly disregarding the old, rejecting the old, in favor of the new. I find that to be a little bit erratic and a little bit untrustworthy. Change, just constantly changing things is not the same thing as growth. Change right. is inevitable. Growth is a choice, in my opinion. Personal growth, personal transformation. Growth for me means integrating all the things that I've done all the people that I've been, even the people that I wouldn't approve of right now, because ten, me 10 years ago wouldn't approve of things that I'm doing today. And so growth is an acceptance of everything that I've done leading up to now, and then an embrace of where I am right now, and then consciously choosing 
to do something new and interesting now with all of that previous experience. That's what growth means to me. That's what being present in my life right now means. I love all that work. You know, retiring 10 years worth of online courses and starting over from scratch allowed me to celebrate that. I was like, mm. this was work that I was kind of like resentful towards, a little bit bitter about. And, and because I was able to say goodbye to it, I was able to celebrate it. I was able to go, oh, I love that. I love who I was when I made that. Neil Young said this about, um, actually, he said this about Bob Dylan. He said, I don't know who wrote Blowing in the Wind. I don't know who that person was. Hmm. It's not me. It's him. You know? And uh, there's something beautiful about that. You aren't the person that you were yesterday. Of course not. You remember who that was. You've got a lot of those cells living inside of it. You're you now. And I think it's it's a wonderful act of compassion to love who we are without trying to be that person. It's delusional to try to be who you were yesterday or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It's delusional to try to be who you think other people think you are. You're living in a delusion, but it's compassionate to love who you were without having to feel constrained by it. I think it's a little unkind to judge ourselves malign our past selves. You were doing the best that you knew how to do. And now you're doing the best that you know how to do. And 10 years from now, you'll hopefully know better. And what I find really freeing is to realize this is all my body of work. Even the parts that I don't like or don't approve of, I don't think are very cool. I'm just seeing how it all is grist for the mill, if you will, to to pull a little, you know, random Ramdas quote out. And it's all it's all being used. You know, it is actually all being used for my good. And it is all this thing called my life. And I'm trying to enjoy it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jeff, mm-hmm. thank you so much for taking the time out today to, to talk to us. This has been a fascinating discussion. How can people find out about Hey Creator, you know, learn more about your work, go deeper? I know it's heycreator.com, right? Yep. We, we, we own like all the domains right now. I think they all, they all redirect to a page that will allow you to subscribe to the newsletter, which comes out every Tuesday. We have a long form newsletter and a, uh, a Friday in case you missed it post or, or a don't miss this post, just kind of like, like a, like a bullet list of, of links and things going on and that's it, right? Nothing to sell right now. Maybe at some point we'll let you buy something, but there's, it's just content. I mean, you can listen to the episode, the new episode of Hey Creator every, every Tuesday. It comes out same day as the newsletter. All of that is at heycreator.com. You can also search all of your podcast apps for all that. And if anything resonated here, if you have any questions, I, I love for people to email me, just jeff at goinswriter.com. That goes to an inbox that a team member and I review. She makes sure I don't, I don't miss anything important. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear the art that you're making with your own life. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff, for, for your time. We appreciate all that you do and you've done, and we're excited to see how you continue to grow and change as a, as a creative. And we'll be, we'll be watching from afar and maybe up close if I run into you at Whole Foods again soon. Oh, we'll go to lunch <laughs> next week. It's going to happen. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. All right, Jeff. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.